more than 100 unique styles of beer, each with their own set of ingredients, process, guidelines, history, and experience. If you're a beer lover, an industry leader, or somewhere in between, a better knowledge of beer style will improve your life and your work. Welcome to A Sense of Beer Style, essential beer style training for those who want to lead in food and beverage. I'm Julia Herz. And I'm Jeremy Storton. We're advanced Cicerones, beer judges, home brewers, and we're excited to guide you through the vast and wonderful world of beer styles. Welcome, everyone, to A Sense of Beer Style. Julia and Jeremy here, reliably so. Hey, hey, and every week we're here doing our thing, overviewing the 2021 Beer Judge Certification Program style guidelines, usually, Jeremy, as you know, one style at a time. However, in prepping for this show, Scottish Ale, um, number 14, by the way, we knew that if you're studying for these and you study them separately for the first time, and then you looked at all three together, you'd kind of scratch your head and say, why why didn't we get told to study these all together? Because they're so (laughs) similar. So that's what we're going to do. Scottish Light, Scottish Heavy, and Scottish Export, all under Scottish Ale. And back me up on this, Jeremy, but what you'll learn when you study this style is, A, there's a, a true sordid history of pre-World War II and post-World War II that I think starts to showcase a different version of how these beers are viewed and or brewed. Um, and we've got the essence of homebrewing, frankly, helping make a... Uh, advancements in how things were done based on availability of ingredients. Um, this, for example, the Scottish ale grouping of the Scottish of the Scottish light, heavy and export, they're all very malt-centric beers. I will say in setting this up that when you are in Scotland, you tend to have colder temperatures, right? So a big feature of this style grouping is that hops aren't a huge aspect. They certainly lend bitterness no, that we'll talk about. Yeah, they're not. And I think that what's important is is that when you're in the early days of creating this style, uh, you are paying attention to the fact that if we're going to have to import those ingredients, aka those English hops that we're going to want to use, we're not going to use a lot of them. We're going to emphasize the the malt. It's and so that's it's expensive. You have to transport it, right? They don't always stay fresh hops and the like. So that makes sense. So these styles, when you're comparing them, frankly, to English bitters and that grouping, you could study those together as well. Uh, really, you're pegging them at um, more uh, more dark, uh, lower attenuation, more sweet, that means, and uh, less hopped. Like that's an easy way to set all up the Scottish ales. The other thing to think about and talk about is, because we're all nipping the tipple on the spirit side too, uh, you know, Scottish whiskey compared to Irish whiskey. If you've studied your um, your examples out there, you know that Scottish whiskeys, whiskeys have that ode of peat. So yes. a lot of people automatically assume, Jeremy, that we, when we produce a Scottish ale or a commercial brewer does, that it's supposed to have influence of peat. And that's actually yep. not the case. Peat not comes from bog myrtle and all these things that like in bogs, like swamps and the like, yeah, will they, influence they burn their the water. Moss for heat. Yes, say that again. I mean, you you yeah, they you know burn this. their moss for heat. That's that's what the peat is. Is just like this moss that grows and dries, and they they don't have as many trees as you know we do in the Pacific Northwest. So or 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 Colorado. So they 
burn the peat and that's how they get flavor in their whiskey. But, uh, but everyone naturally assumes that there's peat aroma and flavor in the beer and there shouldn't be, but we'll get into that. Yeah. And the water profile could sneak in a little minerality that might influence um, the essence of a uh, of peat, but it is really a misnomer. So when you're yeah. getting these beers, you're really not looking for, for peat. Another thing to talk about post-World War II, the homebrewer influence that I mentioned, and I'm biased um, with the <laughs> American Homebrewers Association as part of my professional journey. The, the guidelines talk about how homebrewers made a play for kettle caramelization to be um, a part of making this style. That caramelization brings out advanced malt flavors, um, a little bit of like uh, advanced sugars and the like. And that's because maybe the availability of the pre-World War II malts were just not as accessible. So there's tips and tricks that I think over the years that in the modern era when we started brewing these Scottish ales that have been incorporated. So now when we talk about the guidelines, we will acknowledge that's kind of the original older world way, or now we're talking the modern version. Yeah. And the good example on that is this is the um, you know, 60, 70, 80 business. I mean, Jeremy, that was originally around basically the price of the beer. Yeah. And now it does, of the hogshead, the giant casks was a 60, 70, 80, 90, 120 shilling. Absolutely. And, and yeah. now it doesn't apply, right? You'll even see commercial examples with the number slash shilling. And if your brain equates that to a dollar amount, then it's just, it's not the correct thing. I think that they were going for in terms yeah. of those classic yeah. styles. I wish I knew the history about that because, you know, naturally uh, the prices are going to fluctuate no matter what. That's just the economy. And the, uh, the economy is as the economy is. Um, and so it's, it's kind of um, interesting that those, that those kind of adopted that moniker and it stuck um, because we're still talking about 60 shilling versus 80 shilling um, as more of a, a sign of strength than it was yes. price. Because um, yes. to my best knowledge, they don't even use shillings anymore. So uh, this really is just kind of like a, a kind of a nod to tradition um, that for whatever reason it's stuck. And so if you see a 90 shilling from like Odell, then you know it's going to be a little bit stronger for, you know, and that's just a kind of a nice little fun little uh, anecdote about uh, these Scottish ales. They're, they're very just full of unique character. I love them. Yeah. And it's a really helpful tip that it really just these days designates strength. And you've got light, heavy, and export 60, 70, 80 kind of takes you up that ladder, yeah. um, but not all the time. So I wouldn't rely on those numbers. Also, too, I brought up the notion of kettle caramelization. This style brings up, and we could do a prepisode on this one day, Jeremy, is the notion of party guile, right? Yeah. And a, and a brewing process that is a different, you know, gravity levels of your of your mashes and then using that to influence the character of the beer. And this right here, this idea of the party guile, which we'll talk about in a second, is the reason why we have three different substyles but we are going to lump them together in one. And it's funny, if you look at the description for the appearance, the aroma, the flavor, the mouthfeel for each style, they are almost identical. In fact, I believe in the previous guidelines from 2015, they were identical. Um, uh, and that's because it's the same beer. They use a single infusion mash 
uh, and the first runnings full of sugar goes off to the the 90 shilling uh, uh, batch. The second runnings after you sparge through the, the mash goes off to the 80 shilling and the, the next one goes to the 70. The next one goes to the, so the weakest wort left over uh, after you sparge most of the sugars out, that's going to go to the 60 shilling for the Scottish light. But Julia, it's essentially the same beer, just a different strength. Right. So with that, maybe we can finally get to, and feel free to add anything in before we get to ingredients, but let's, let's dive in. Let's, let's dive in. Okay. Uh, so that, so obviously it's a very rich, wonderful beer with a rich history. And there's a lot of, there's a lot to know and appreciate and understand about the Scottish beer style, but it is easy. It's an easy style to study, learn, memorize, and test on because they're so like each other. And when we finally get to the vital stats, you'll see how they just step up They're, they're They are literal steps. And so it's kind of an easy thing to keep in mind. Um, when it comes to ingredients though, uh, gosh, this is, uh, this is a homebrewers smorgasbord. Um, you start with a, a, uh, kind of a Scottish pale for the, the base malts, and then you can add colored malts. You can add sugar, you can add corn, you can add wheat, you can ask, add crystal malts. Um, some of them, uh, sometimes they'll even use, um, uh, uh, brewing colors, uh, that, you know, a lot of us, uh, in the craft beer world might kind of turn our nose up at, but this is a common practice back in the day. And, and still today, just to get the batch, you know, quite right. Um, they'll use a kind of a, uh, I'm, I'm not going to say British style. I'm going to UK style yeast that tends to have a little bit more fruity esters. Uh, these beers, because it's, it's cooler where they are, it tends to ferment cooler. It tends, and because of that, it, it doesn't attenuate as well. And so you have a lot more residual sugars, um, and we just talked about the partigal process, um, and but they are going to typically use it British style hops with their like wet earth and stone and tea and 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 sweet citrus and all these wonderful things. Um, a lot of this water, I think, Julia, you mentioned that there can be some minerality that comes through this water, uh, but my best knowledge, and I. I uh, well, I'm just going to say a lot of it is typically soft water, uh, a surface water that hasn't really gone through uh, underground and, and, and picked up a lot of uh, solute. Um, I, there, there's probably some in there, and I'm not a water expert and certainly not on this style, but um, I've read a couple different things there where the water can be pretty soft. Um, but, uh, we did talk about uh, the peat smoke flavor that everyone just assumes is in the style. It should not be there. It should not be peaty. I, I've seen plenty of smoked versions of Scottish uh, ales from crafties uh, and and home brewers, and I think those are wonderful. They're wonderful. If you like it, drink it and, and make it. But uh, when we're talking about a classic style, the, the bullseye on the target, it should not have peat smoke in there. Um, but, uh, you know, oftentimes I am going to just just step out and say this though, that uh, one of the things I love about the Scottish style is there are some just kind of uh, uh, remaining phenolics that come through and give it a little bit of a Scottish ale character that I, that I just love. And, and it's wonderful with uh, pairing food too, but we'll talk about that uh, more later. But these are the ingredients that you can expect out of a typical Scottish ale. So, uh, Julia, I'm going to pour my beer, but let's start talking about the appearance. 
Yes, an appearance with what we've got of a strata of three beers within this category is generally going to be the same. Um, the catch is, is the funniest part is the Scottish light is the darkest, generally speaking, mm -hmm. or at least has the darkest range. So deep copper to dark brown, right? And then Scottish heavy and Scottish export are going to take us kind of a pale co copper to brown. You're always going to have a um, collar of foam that's going to give us like creamy off white collar of foam. And uh, you also are always, at least in the style guidelines, going to see this beer style called for to be clear. Now, when it's dark, it's hard to see through. But clarity, not a murkiness, not a haze, mm -hmm. is a true trademark of the appearance of this style. Yeah. And that's easy. So yeah. let's get into aroma, though. Yeah, aroma. This this is just uh, this is why I love the style. Uh, if anyone has listened to this before, they know I'm a malt head as opposed to a hop head. I like mm -hmm. hops, but I love malt, so I love this beer style. Uh, so I'm I'm just going to read real quick from the guidelines. Uh, malt focused, uh, toasty, bready malt, caramel, toffee, uh, never roasty. Um, you know, low fruity esters are possible. Uh, low bitterness, um, but they. Uh, um, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm jumping in flavor, but the flavor and the aroma kind of uh, go hand in hand. But they're talking about um, toasted breadcrumbs, lady fingers, you know, those those type of uh, cookies you make tiramisu out of uh, English biscuits, a.k.a. cookies like shortbreads um, and graham crackers. I mean, who doesn't love graham crackers in their beer? This is uh, this is why this beer style is so fantastic, because it's it's a rich, complex flavors all over the map type of uh uh, profile. Um, uh, excuse me. I'm talking about aromas. For me, they're the same. But um, uh, you can get uh, palm fruits. You can uh, sometimes I get uh, some light uh, like uh, berry candy. Uh, um, uh, you, you like those like kind of like um, sugary raspberry candies. Sometimes I get that in there too, and it's wonderful. But again, no peat smoke. And the typical English hops, earthy, stony, soily, uh, that type of stuff. And that's that's the aroma that I expect to get. And I'm definitely getting it out of this uh, sample that I'm uh, uh, smelling right now. How about the flavor? I think on flavor, Jeremy, you did a lot of great work there. It's hard to talk and drink and think. And, and it, your, your brain's working. I can tell how you're well, describing it, it. It's hard for me to separate flavor from aroma. To me, they come together. And, and so, I, I yeah, I get a little excited sometimes. Especially in this beer style, and I'll always emphasize that flavors of fusion and the sense of aroma from our ability to smell is very different, though, than our basic taste, which is a component of flavor tied to the third piece, which is mouthfeel. Yeah. Um, so when you get to flavor beyond aroma, especially in this style, you are looking for everything Jeremy just emulated. You know, caramel, toffee. I love that lady fingers from the style guidelines yeah. note. Um, and you've got this essence of uh, much more malt than hops. The hops in the flavor, though, will be a variable that you can't get when you're when you're smelling a beer. It's just physically not possible. And that bitterness gives it a base and a backbone. 
Um, I will say that we always kind of hold off on saying uh, statistics or the vital statistics till that section of our, our shows, but it's helpful to say in terms of the style guidelines, because we're talking about three and one, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to diverge and do um, what we don't normally do. So the light compared to heavy compared to export is going to have the varying degrees of the bitter back base and 1020 to 10, 10 to, to 20 for bitterness units is the same. The, the bitterness units allowed in the style guidelines mm -hmm. by the light and the heavy. And then because the export is just a bigger final gravity, more residual sugar, you've got 15 to 30, which is a higher range of bitterness to then go after and balance that more dense residual sugar um, for the uh, export. So that's yep. kind of a big nuance. You'll get some esters maybe in the in the um in the aroma and the flavor. The reason we bring up esters a lot when we're talking ales, and these are Scottish ales, not lagers, is because ale yeast will give us those fruity esters, but they don't tend to be a big component. And I hesitate not to linger longer on flavor. I'm sure more of it will come up as we talk. Uh, but we also let's con considering flavor. I'd love to hear at this stage about mouthfeel. Yeah, uh, you, know, uh, you brought up uh, vital stats just as it relates to this uh, with mouthful. This is what, fun that when you get to that final gravity, you'll see how it, it kind of jumps up in body a little bit. That's that residual sugars. But that being said, it's not sweet. It's not cloying. It's not uh, annoyingly so. It, it's all within balance. And, and it does have a medium low to medium body. So it's not this big chewy thing either. It, there's just this wonderful, delicate balance, uh, trying to keep all of these things in check, but, but they have enough character. They stand out, but they're not out doing out competing each other. Um, so typically these, these styles will have a lower to medium carbonation, particularly if it's a, if it's from cask, uh, like this a 60 shilling, the Scottish light, they're not easy to find. If you find them, there's a good chance they're going to be on cask. So they're going to be a very low on the, uh, volumes of CO2. But if you find them in, in, in a can or, or with the, uh, the heavy or the export, they will have more carbonation too, but they shouldn't be heavily carbonated but you are still going to get this uh, rich mouthfeel, this creamy mouthfeel. could be grainy, but it's going to have a, somewhat of a dry finish, which is, that's kind of a trick. I mean, yeah, anyone who's a home brewer knows that's hard to pull off, but they pull it off with the style pretty well. That's that's my take on, uh, on mouthfeel. Um, let's talk about uh, how does this compare to other beers? And we talked about it earlier. Comparing them to English bitters is a very, I think, helpful um, process. And the style yeah. guidelines point this out too, right? The 60, so your light, they point out, and I, I back it from beers I've tasted, is similar to a dark mild, right? Which is in the English bitter and brown category. Um, an ordinary bitter uh, is a really good baseline um, that might take us to the heavy, right? The Scottish heavy is similar to an ordinary bitter, at least in body, strength, girth, alcohol often. And then the 80 is similar to our best or strong bitter. Yep. Uh, but these beers are generally darker in color, um, not as hoppy for sure in the flavor and bitterness and just more high residual sugar. So that's an easy way to slip in the comparison. If you're ever doing blind tastings, get yourself the Scottish ale lineup, get yourself your English bitters and your English browns 
and have a field day, taste them blind, and really test yourself. Yeah, and it's important to say there's a lot of similarities between the Scottish and the appropriate versions of the British ales, but there's a different quality. There's a different character in the flavor profile that is distinctly unique. And it's hard to put your thumb on unless you've tasted hundreds of them. So um, that's that's me saying go out and taste a bunch, particularly side by side to get to kind of put your finger on that difference. Uh, it's a challenge. But um, I'll talk about some commercial examples. Luckily, uh, there's plenty of craft brewers that love to brew Scottish versions of this beer. And thank goodness, because it, it's hard to find um, the, the, you know, the Scottish style ales uh, out, in, out in stores, unless it's a, a big box store, but they don't exist in every state either. So it, it's a bit of a challenge. So if in doubt, brew your own. Um, hmm. But when we're talking about the, uh, the Scottish light or the 60 shilling, uh, they're harder to find. But a classic example would be the McEwen's 60 Bellhaven Best. Uh, Bellhaven is a, is a, a brand uh, to uh, stay aware of uh, if you're trying to taste Scottish ales uh, for your uh, for a beer test, Cicerone test, anything like that, then you know, make sure you can find a McEwen's uh, or anything that says Bell Haven. You're probably uh, in, a, in a, uh, a good company there. Uh, when we get to the 70 shilling or the Scottish heavy, uh, we got McEwen's 70, which makes sense. Uh, the Orkney uh, Raven Ale. Orkney is, another, Orkney is another name I want you to remember when we're talking about Scottish, especially when we finally get to the wee heavies we're going to talk about uh, Orkney Skull Splitter, um, but that's a style in the future to discuss. When we get to the Scottish export, this is where we're more likely to find these uh, than anything else. The Scottish export, 80 shilling. Um, we've got the Belhaven Scottish Ale. We've got the Broughton uh, Wee Jock. Uh, um, we've got the McEwen's 80, a McEwen's Export, and one of my favorite Scottish breweries of all time, Truckyar uh, Bear Ale. They... Uh, they make some incredible beers. Um, when you are out uh, in the world of beer and you start seeing, uh, particularly if you're in Colorado, you might see a 90 shilling. Obviously, that's going to be stronger, but it's a pretty easy beer to find. Um, you know, you're going to get that taste, that that sense of the beer style. Just keep in mind that that's going to have a stronger uh, alcohol component to it, but it'll give you a, a sense uh, of the beer. Um, and there's plenty of other, uh, examples out there, but, uh, we're not going to list them all. Um, but now finally is the time, Julia, we get to get into vital stats and see how these three styles, sub styles stack up next to each other. Yeah. And I do think that when we're looking at three styles together within one category, it's really hard. I could recite all the, yeah. the stats and maybe you'll retain them. Maybe auditory-wise it's helpful. But I'm generally <laughs> just going to share my tricks of where things start and end. Perfect. Because there's some nice synergy between studying these three. And if you were to think about original gravity, which we talk about a lot, the Scottish light, and remember we have light, heavy, and export. The Scottish light starts at 1030 and ends at 1035, original gravity. And then the heavy picks up up at 10:35 goes to 10:40 like a then step the, yep steps on a ladder and then the export goes 10:40 to 10:60 
So the same essence in a, in a sense happens with the final gravity, but not as clean and tidy. 1010 to 1013, super small range for the um, for the light. And then heavy is a final gravity of 1010 to 1015. So just think it's heavier. It's got a broader range. And then the export is 1010 again as your grounding final gravity beginning range to 1016. Just, just a touch, touch higher. Um, so your alcohol volumes are going to reflect those final gravities. Literally Scottish light, the easy way to remember is that it's one of the lightest um, ABV alcohol by volume in the entire strata of 100 plus yep. styles. Yep. So 2.5% to 3.3% alcohol by volume for your light. Then it goes 3.2 to 3.9 for your heavy. And then you get a little more girth, 3.9 to 6.0, a much broader range for your export. And so just and, remember these start in a low, low range. And, and I just want to throw something in on the ABV is just a great way to remember it. Uh, so the Scottish export, remember anything that says export, they've, they've raised the alcohol, they've added more hops to it. So you're going to see that reflected in the ABV and the IBUs uh, just because they're going to ship it elsewhere. But for me, the Scottish export is actually perfectly average from basically four to six. Uh, the Scottish heavy, uh, you know, not a not a great name for it because to me, anything under four percent I consider session. Anyway, from three to four percent is session. Uh, and but that Scottish light we mentioned, we're talking two and a half to three point three. To me, that's super session. And so uh, I remember these uh, uh, just as a sense of if I thought light, heavy, and export. Those names actually kind of throw me off a little bit because I'm thinking export's going to be heavier. No, I'm thinking super session, session, and average. And that's what helped me dial these in when it came to ABVs. I really like that alignment. And so, yes, export is factual. And Jeremy is pointing out there's other exports that come from many other different countries, too, and they are beefing them up for export. But in the case of these examples, you have to remember they are sessionable all three of them in their own right. So I, I think that's a great clarification. Yeah. And then just to close out stats for bitterness units, I mean, they start at the light level of 1010, or forgive me, for bitterness units starts at 10 to 20. That's very reasonable, right? I always say that maybe getting above 2025, you start to discern that bitterness. So it's below really detectable levels in most cases. It's just there to balance the residual sugar. Yep. And that's the same bitterness units in average for the style guidelines for the light and the heavy is 10 to 20. And then it just goes up a little bit more, as we said earlier in the show, 15 to 30 for the export. And then last but not least, the color range. We talked about how the Scottish is a little bit darker um, as a starting point, 17 to 25 for the SRM and then heavy is 12 to 20 so is export 12 to 20 in the standard reference method range so you've got kind of these uh you know paler copper to brown to dark brown ranges and it's a lot to take in but if you look at it all as a group as we are doing in the show you're going to have a much better chance yeah um when it comes to glassware for the style i, I just go to traditional uh uk glassware and we're talking an English tulip. Uh, you can see those typically if you order a Guinness uh, anywhere, you'll see something similar to a British or English tulip, uh, a, a British pub mug. Uh, we've met, shown that in different uh, style casts, you know, the dimpled mug with a handle that just facilitates drinking. But if you're drinking a Scottish, Scottish light at 3%, you could have two, three, who knows? Let's go crazy. Maybe four of those and, and, and still, uh, still be okay uh, for the rest of the day. Um, I, I'm drinking this out of, uh, 
uh, a Nonic pint. Uh, if you are watching this, then you can see it just looks like a regular shaker pint, but there's a little bit of bulge at the uh, upper third of the glass, and that just really helps. It's it's very utilitarian. You can stack these, and it won't scratch up the inside of the glass. It's nice because I can hold the glass, and uh, it it the glass sort of holds onto my hand as much as I'm holding onto the glass. It's a great glass to drink out of. Uh, it's, it's not the best glass for propagating uh, foam, but but there are worst uh, things in this life. When it comes to temperatures, uh, granted, we're pulling this out of a refrigerator uh, that should be right around you know 40 degrees or, or cooler. Um, Fahrenheit anyway, uh, at Celsius, that's about four degrees. I want this to warm up. I want to hold this in my hand uh, to get it up to, I don't know, 45, uh, seven, eight degrees uh, Celsius, because as it opens up, you start getting more volatiles. You start getting more of that uh, that uh, ladyfinger and graham cracker malt aroma that I absolutely love. When this is cold, I'm I'm just getting a wisp of that. Uh, but uh, this malt, malt in particular, opens up as it warms up. So this this beer needs to warm up, uh, you know, even closer to 50 degrees or 10 degrees Celsius. It's still going to be a great beer. And I'll add to that, that's why in the traditional, traditional glassware, which you really don't see these at bars and restaurants, at least in the continental U.S., the, the thistle. It is a footed oh, glass yes. that is the classic glassware for Scottish ales. Um, maybe they were trying to be Vikings and just create their own form of like, this is us. And it's a footed glass, but it has a huge bulb above the stem from the foot. And that, to me, I would envision is where you hold it and warm it up. And then think thistle in terms of something that flares out a little bit vase-like. And that is going to allow a lot of the volatile um, compounds to come to your nose and, and be as the brewer intended. So you get more of the aromatics and the beautiful display of malts and adjuncts that have been added to this beer. But the thistle, I never see it. So it doesn't surprise me that it doesn't come up a lot. Although if you see one, it's for Scottish ales. And, and, and I can promise you, if you're at some weekend barbecue and you bring a thistle glass uh, full of uh, Scottish ale, people are going to come up and ask you about it because that is a cool, unique glass. Totally. Yeah. So let's, should we get to uh, pairing suggestions? Our favorite pairings. Yeah. And, you know, I'll do the cheat. The general sense is, is if something's really malt forward, uh, you hear from me a lot if you listen to the show. There's so much synergy with grilled, roasted, and smoked mm -hmm. proteins and vegetables um, because that has a lot of synergies with the kilned and roasted malts that are used in in beer. And so Scottish ales being so pale malt forward, so, uh, you know, specialty malt um, influence with caramel and toffee and, and ladyfingers and all those things. Just think as I'm talking how much that would fall and slip into, say, a, a ladyfinger dessert drizzled with strawberry um, syrup and vanilla ice cream. I wouldn't be scared to try the, the Scottish export with that. I think the nature of the Scottish light and heavy, even though the word heavy is a misnomer as we're pointing out, they're so delicate and so sessionable that you can certainly wash that away with heavier, richer foods, richer cheeses and the like. So I wouldn't go too dense or heavy um, of food against the light and the heavy. Use your export for that. But find things that have essence of grilled, roasted and smoked um, food preparation and then you'll probably be on your way to very good pairings. Well, and, and we could we could certainly stay fairly close to home with this. And I've never had the opportunity nor the courage to try haggis. 
but we could go with a uh, you know a, a meat pie, and this would be fantastic with that. Um, you know, there's a variety of meat pies. Um, I had uh, an experience with this, a, a food pairing moment, if you will. Um, one of my least favorite cheeses of all time is pepper jack. I just, it's, it just, it doesn't do anything for me. But one day I tried pepper jack with a Scottish beer and it was incredible. Um, just that spicy. Why? Because it popped, the pepper popped more, the cheese, the richness, what? Because it, 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 it's like the, the sweetness and the maltiness of the beer kind of, uh, uh, enveloped that capsaicin and gave me that flavor of the heat without the chemistetic, uh, uh, experience of the heat. And that earthy bell pepper, sweet pepper kind of uh, flavor, uh, it just really um, just it, it just it had a light shining on it with the in the combination of the flavors I was I was eating. And so by extension, I, I would have this with fajitas any day. You, you, uh, most of you know me and Mexican food, but fajitas is one of those things where I want a Scottish ale with that. Well, so, said like such a pairing professional, Jeremy, ever also <laughs> appreciate what you share and, and help teach me and others. And so I think with that, we've nailed it. Yes, we went a little longer than most of our shows. But again, this was three styles within Scottish Ale. Three shows in one. Yeah, three shows in one. <laughs> so with that, we always say go forth, go find these, drink while you listen or watch or listen or watch and then go drink. Uh, but either way, we hope your beer studies have been helped by this. And it's really a, a really fun style and so sessionable. Why would you not want to seek it out and uh, and try it? And, it? and it really is just an incredible style that you must know. And uh, yeah, good luck finding them. And if you do, grab several and enjoy them. Other that, otherwise, I just say slancha. Thank you for listening to Essence of Beer Style, the essential beer style training for those who want to lead in food and beverage. With advanced Cicerones, me, Julia, and me, Jeremy. Tune into the next episode as we continue exploring the world of beer styles and what to make of them. We encourage you to listen to the prepisodes to build your foundation and better understand beer styles. And before the next episode, I'd like to ask you to review the show and let us know what you'd like featured in upcoming episodes. Until next time, here's to you and your sense of beer style. Thank you for listening. Cheers. Cheers.